There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on this glorious day and this glorious week of weather. Long may it continue. I just see uh, Nuala Carey delivering the weather on RTE as I speak and it's just sunshine all the way for the next week or so, isn't it? Just fantastic. God bless it. And uh, I know the heat and uh, the, the, uh, all related to it can be difficult for people as, as well. But look, don't we deserve it after all the poor stuff we've experienced? Welcome to the show. Lots happening over the next couple of hours. We're heading to Rathold College where they've won a sustainability award. It's World MS Day. Naomi Donaldson tells us what it's like to live with it. And the bees are back in my garden. If you're a long-time listener to the show, you know at one stage I was a beekeeper. Yes, trained by Mr. Owen McGillicuddy, the finest beekeeper in the land. Would you believe it? A swarm of bees arrived into my back garden yesterday evening into one of the compost bins and the story unfolds from there. We'll be talking about it on the show after two o'clock today. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with us this afternoon. I want to begin the show today by playing a clip from Mr George Carlin Long deceased, but one of the funniest men in the United States, a real satirist. But I think this is uh, very relevant to the conversation we're going to have in a few moments. Just have a listen to this, please. In today's America, no child ever loses. There are no losers anymore. Everyone's a winner. No matter what the game or sport or competition, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy. No one is a loser. No child these days ever gets to hear those all-important character-building words. You lost, Bobby. You lost. You're a loser, Bobby. They miss out on that. You know what they tell a kid who lost these days? You were the last winner. A lot of these kids never get to hear the truth about themselves until they're in their 20s. When their boss calls them in and says, Bobby, clean the shit out of your desk and get the fuck out of here, you're a loser. Yes, Mr. George Carlin, on the money for many indeed. Uh, News late last week that the GAA had issued a edict. Look, Go Games have been on the go for 13 years. It's non-competitive up to the age of 12. Uh, but now school matches and blitzes will come under the ruling as well. So really there'll be no competitive fair up to 12 years of age. Welcomed by many, questioned by some, questioned by my first guest on the show today, Mead star Anthony Moyles joins me. Afternoon, Anthony. Afternoon, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for uh, coming on the show with me today. You've been critical of this. Why? 
Well, I suppose, Jerry. look, it, as you rightly say, it's been around for a while. Um, and I think probably when it, there was news of it last week, which was probably just a kind of a, a rehash of it, um, I think it probably got a few people uh, roiled up, shall we say. Um, I didn't realise, actually, and that was on me, that it, that it actually went all the way up to under 12s. I realised that, obviously, kind of in the nurseries, that you had a situation where there was no real kind of... Uh, uh, you know, kind of element of, of competition, shall we say? Um, but like, I just, I just think. Look, I, I think there's many facets to this. Uh, you know, George Carlin is right to a point, but kids know. Kids know whether they win or they lose. You know, kids know the results. Kids know when they're being hockeyed in the game, whether they're six or whether they're sixteen. Uh, they know when they're when they're when they're winning, and they know when they're losing. Um, and kids feel disappointment after a game or feel elation. And you know, I think I think a lot of people have brought across the argument of that if you get rid of the competitions and the fact of the you know the trophies or whatever else, well then that will stop this overzealous kind of competitive streak that's happening uh, certainly amongst coaches and 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 even parents on the sideline. But like my my point is that that's that's not the kids, you know that kids are kind of nearly being punished for the sins of the parents and the people who should know better. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the main point I would have that, you know, I think both can coexist. I think it is good for, for kids to, you know, get prepared for a final or a semi-final and whether they win or lose, you know, there's there's learnings and lessons around that and and coaches and parents can, can obviously help them get over that or help them, you know, understand why things are going on or whatever it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely totally against the likes of a, of a coach standing on the sideline roaring and shouting out a kid or thinking that he's the next, you know, Jim Gavin or, 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 or you know, Henry Shefflin or whatever <laughs> it is. Like, I mean, that's, that's just, there's no place for that. Mm. And, you know, is that a cultural thing? Is that a thing amongst, say, the GAA or maybe other sports? Because you don't see it in other sports. You know, my wife is heavily involved in basketball in Dunshockland and you don't see any of that stuff go on. There's loads of encouragement and, and, and kids still get like, medals at the end of a blitz and they still get MVP and MVP may be given to the to the girl or the boy they may not necessarily be the actual best player but they might be the, the person who's turned up the most who's practiced the most who's improved the most or who helps out the most so mm. there's loads of ways to reward and to try to bring people on and to keep people involved um, and I just think a carte blanche type of, 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 of ban and, and this the way it's being framed by some people thinking that, oh, well, if you bring in a, you know, uh, and keep score, well, then that's going to cause kids to run away from school. I just, I just think that's, that's, that's excessive. So would you tell the parents to scoot off? You know, go, go ahead and go, go away for a walk there or something and leave the children with us, provided, of course, the coaches and mentors, as you say, can control themselves as well and allow competition. Would that be, is that a, or is that a, a fantasy? People want to see their children play, of course. It's a, like Jerry, I was I was in Manalvi at the weekend watching. I've, I've you know I have two girls and one was playing under nine. And you know I I know the sidelines are meant to be silent, but I found it hard myself. <laughs> come on, Anthony, come on. She was looking at me. I'd say saying you know don't be embarrassed, <laughs> but all I wanted to do was encourage and say you know go for the ball here. Mm. Or go. But and 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 that's that's you know everyone is aware of that. I, I think there's a line that you cross. And look, I get it. It's it's difficult. Like if you were an overzealous coach or a parent, like it's hard for the club 
even though there's there's juvenile you know committees and there's juvenile secretaries and chairmen and obviously coaching officers, it's still hard to have that conversation with someone, you know, mm. because you know if that person is 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 ingrained in that, or maybe doesn't even realise they're doing that type of thing. Mm. But you you would hope that those incidents are few and far between. You know that that like I mean I I go to plenty of games with with kids and see loads of games going on and you know yeah there's a bit of encouragement but you don't really see. You know, but but that's not to say it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Of course it happens, but you can't you can't tarnish everyone then with that brush. Mm. Uh, um, and I know there's referees out there who say, "Well, geez, they get abused," and that and, and that is wrong, and that certainly shouldn't be. It shouldn't be happening at senior level. You know, I think, and that's a that's an issue uh, for 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 maybe the association in general. I know the soccer clubs have got an awful lot. And the FIA, FAI have got an awful lot of advice from the likes of the Dutch leagues and stuff of how to try to generate that respect mm. um, and how to really start to, to, to improve their underage with participation and try to get all of them along. You know, whether you're yes. a 12-year-old or, and, and, and you're, you, you know, you're, you're really strong, but maybe you're a little bit weaker, uh, that 12-year-old might be regraded down to an under 10. You know, so they're constantly thinking about it. So the GA can can do lots of stuff involved in that stuff and can do things even within a game you know to ensure there's a certain amount of passes that go on which will stop the strong kids taking over the game or whatever it is but at the end of the day I go back to the child knows whether they win or lose you mm. know from, from, from I have a six year old and she'll tell you whether she won the game or she lost <laughs> yeah. you know, and she'll realise you know, and I'll say well listen you have to just improve you have to go you get out the back garden and, and, and help your skills you know yeah. but, 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 but I think I think trying to uh, as I said restrict um, uh, the children just because you have parents who can't, as I said, behave and 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 and, and act in a manner the way they should be acting is is seems 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 strange. To me. Yeah, I was going to say to you, she didn't lick it off the ground anyway. On the dad's side, we like the mam gets a pardon here on the basketball. But anyway, uh, come back to the point. She's six. Would you have competition from the earliest age? Would you allow? You know, in your opinion, should there be you know score kept competition from they start playing? No, like I mean, look, I think I think the first thing my uh, the, the seven or eight year old what they'll say is like, oh, who, who won? What scores? You know, now mm. you don't have to, you just say, ah, oh, it's close, or you know that game was drawn. So that's fine. But they they learn and and uh, look, I'm no child psychologist, and there's plenty of people with more experience and and smarts than me that would tell you the the rights and wrongs of it. But I think that when you come to, uh, I think a lot of this is about the objective of this and 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 and. You know, what is the actual objective of it? Is the objective of it to try to stop, as I said, the parents, the people on the sideline who get too hot up and head up about, you know, the the under 11 or the under 12 final and they're, geez, they're baying for blood on the sideline. Like that stuff, absolutely, I agree. That, that causes tension. It causes the kids to be anxious. Uh, you know, it causes all of those various different things. And that, and that should be uh, eradicated as much as possible. But for the child himself, like I remember, you know, playing in schools, finals or whatever, and even the anticipation of it and, you know, kind of getting towards it and trying to do things right. And, you know, like it was all it was all building blocks for what yes. may come or may not come later in mm, life. Mm. Uh, um, and, and yes, I lost more games, as my father used to say to me, you, you lose more games than you win. And he was absolutely <laughs> right. Yes, you yes. know, and that's and that's what happens. And, you, 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 and I, I think kids are well capable 
uh, in the main to to be able to handle those disappointments. And and you know they they move on and they learn from it and they grow from it. You want them involved, and I understand where people will say, oh well, the overzealous parent will only play the strong people. But again, that comes down to the rules involved in the game so in other words why can't you have equal time for everyone in a squad if there's a squad of 12 everyone should get the same amount of game time whether it's six minutes or whatever it is in total yeah. uh, and, and, and you know simple small little rules like that which are refereed and you shouldn't be able to talk to a referee you shouldn't be allowed to question a referee at certain ages I, as I said to you it should nearly go all the way to the top I think there's too much of it going on um, and you know so there's, so there's certain things that can be brought around which will hopefully quieten that sideline and that overzealous parent. And then if it becomes really excessive, well, then the club probably have to step in and say, Jeannie, you know what, Mr. or Mrs., like, you know, the way you're acting is, is not is not in the best interest of the kids and maybe you need to have... And that's just an honest adult yeah. conversation. Mm. You know, if you were doing that in your place of employment, someone would have a word with you. Yeah. You know, and say, look, you know, you need to calm down there or you're coming in, geez, you have a big grumpy head in you every, <laughs> every day. <laughs> you know, you need to you need to start becoming a better teammate or whatever it is or member. So, like, there's no, there's no, there's no reason why that conversation can't be had. And I think most genuine people who by the way are volunteers anyway would would, would realise that and would say yes sorry I, you know I, I, I understand I lost my head or whatever it is and uh, you know I, I'll, I'll try to you know act correctly in the way in the manner mm. of following that um, but look I think you know the GA has an, a massive amount of stuff I know people friends of mine who wouldn't really have been GEA people in their time and they've kids and they just say to me how brilliant the GEA is at juvenile level you know, they say it's absolutely fantastic community. It's so welcoming. The kids love it. They, you know, they love being around it. And at the end of the day, as I said, kids love competition. They'll be out the back garden doing it. And, and, and whether you put a little piece of plastic at the end of a match to win or a thing around your your, your neck, it, it, it's taking part that counts. But also, and I will say this, there is something about that at certain times, you can do it. So you could have certain times of the year where it's, it's about the enjoyment and the participation. But then why not have a blitz, which is organised with eight teams, and you know you have a semi-final and a final. Um, and as I said, you could reward lots of players from different. You could have a player for each team or whatever it is. But that's not to that's not to point out players, but it's just to encourage and help everybody, um, and, and, and 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 to get that sense of uh, I suppose achievement uh, uh, within it as well. I, I like what you're saying about, you know, bringing the rules and regulations to bear and everybody getting equal, equal time because in a lot of debate I've heard since, it's been about that where children stand on the sideline, be it Gaelic, soccer, rugby or whatever. They're, you know, the best team is fielded at a young age and they have to just uh, suck it and uh, live with it. And, you know, they don't get the game time in that. So I really do like what you're saying there. And, the, you know, you do say, and you've said it to me, you, you understand the whole thinking behind this participation, enjoy everyone uh, taking part etc but you know I heard what you said there I remember playing soccer myself as a little fella and getting that little bit of plastic and uh, I'll always remember it and I think we didn't win the final but you know I enjoyed it to be honest with you didn't mean, it, it, I don't think it did me any harm Anthony yeah, yeah, that's uh, but look, I you know I remember being in Kilbride myself in this national school and we get into a final and we lost it in Navan and you know you were devastated after it and but, but you know it was all about getting to it and the preparation for it and even the, having the butterflies about it oh this mm. is the final and it actually 
you know, you can draw back on those experiences. Yeah. Uh, um, and it is, and you know, there's there's people as well. And look, there's an argument on the other side, which is you you know you have sports which are which which can be team sports, but also individualistic, so such as gymnastics. You know, mm-hmm. and gymnastics is a high pressure sport. You know, you're up there as a girl or a boy, and if you make an error and you fall off, whatever it is, well, then more than likely you're not going to get a medal. And there's medals handed out, and those people. You know, they, they deal with it, uh, and there's loads of competition, and the parents are si- silent. You know, mm. the, the, the people who are the judges or whoever they are are awarding the, the, the scores, they're not questioned. Um, and again, that's a kind of a cultural thing. You know, that's a, that's a yes. score. So, so does the GEA need to look at the fact that you're allowed roar and shout and, 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 and admonish the other players uh, from the sideline or get involved? No, it shouldn't. And I think the GEA is getting tougher on that. We saw a couple of weeks ago where you know, a referee was assaulted and that was a very serious charge that was brought against that particular individual um, and and you're, you're all for that. No one should be able to go to a sporting occasion, uh, be it, you know, a six-year-old or a 60-year-old and fear for, you know, something going on and things getting out of hand and assaults happening, whether you're officiating or not. It, yeah. it just shouldn't happen. No. Uh, um, and I know we're going down another road here, but yes. it all kind of does tie in together. It does. It... Uh, um, you know, so mm. so there is, a, it, it, it's, it's not an easy subject. Um, and, you know, I know the GAA are trying to find ways to probably silence that silence. But as I said, I think... In the main, Jerry, I think it's a it's a minority more more than a majority, right? And 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 it's about trying to help that minority understand what's going on and, and the detriment that it's doing to kids. And I think taking that little bit of plastic, as you say, away from the kids, it doesn't have to be there all the time, but taking it away from them doesn't necessarily that won't fix the Jim Gavin or the Henry Shefflin. He'll still be Jim Gavin or Henry Shefflin mm. on the sideline if if he just doesn't have that conversation. Yeah. Know. I hear what you're saying. Anthony, thanks so much. Great talking to you. No bother, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Anthony Miles there, former Mead star, with his opinion on this. He believes there should be competition. What do you think? A listener says, The big problem, Jerry, is the cost of a child playing both codes and not getting a game. Parents get annoyed over this, and rightly so. Thanks for reading this. You're very welcome indeed. You know, Louise, listen to Anthony Miles there. What I get from it is that he believes that potentially the problem is on the sideline with parents and overzealous coaches. Now, you spend a lot of time on the mm-hmm. sidelines, yeah. don't you? You do indeed. What do you think? And what do you think about this whole thing? No competition under 12. Um, I think the kids would like some competition under 12 themselves. Yeah. I really do. Yes. You know, they like to put in the effort. And if they come out and go, and, well, who won? Well, why did we, you know, put so much into that? It's nice. But... On the other side, I see and have seen over all through the years, kids standing on the sidelines and not getting Getting a game. game. And that is so wrong. That is just 100% wrong. They should be. I mean, if a child does not get on for a game every now and then, you know, not every now and then, regularly, the child doesn't grow. The child child. could be the best player if given a chance and able to develop and grow. And they need a game to develop that in my opinion yeah. for what it's worth not that I know much so, about coaching but that's just the way I'd think so I do think it's fair that all kids should get 
Game time. Yes. And equal amounts of game time. As Anthony said there, it should be incorporated in that you must play them. You know what I mean? Regardless of mm. the outcome. Probably easier said than done. I mean, but it's a child's it, confidence you're playing with here, oh, not the yeah. end result of yeah. the game. Yeah, I have to put my hands up here. I Years ago, when Jared was playing and I was looking after a wee soccer team and two things haunt me still. You know that about that time I was in charge? I took a young fella off that missed a penalty. Oh, you did not. I did. I did, and it still, it still, oh, it still annoys me to this day. And in another game, a young lad who was a very good Gaelic footballer jumped, and his natural reaction was he caught the ball in the box and gave away a penalty. Oh. And we lost the game on the penalty, and I just wasn't happy about it. And I, I'll tell you, I, I still, I, I can remember those, those two things. Go on, publicly apologise. Apo- I apologise. <laughs> I see the, the some of the people from time to time, and I just think I'm ashamed that I did that. People Way make mistakes, then. and yes, you know, you and lose I do and you win, and all it. that, and people try their best. But yeah. there has to be. You just can't say, right, you're no good. Get off for like ten games, and just go on the sidelines and make mm. tea and sandwiches. Mm. No, no, they must play. They really must play. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight. If you have a view, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up on late lunch after two, the bees are back in me back garden. Check out. <laughs> are you buzzing about? I am buzzing about it. Yeah, to have them back after all these years. But anyway. I have a swarm in my back garden. We're going to hear all about it on late lunch after two o'clock. But uh, taking us up towards top of the air on the show. Who's this? Who are these? What? Where are they? Boyzone. God, I'm trying to scratch my head and remember these lists at all. Ah, money cotton. It is Boyzone. And no matter what, we'll be with you here on late lunch after news and weather at two. Stay with us. No matter what they tell us. No matter what they do Once a beekeeper, always a beekeeper They've come back to say hello to me Yes, I came out into my garden last evening And I noticed bees uh, congregating around one of my compost bins And yes, it is a swarm of bees And the only man I wanted to ring was Owen McGillicuddy, Master Beekeeper And he's here with me in my garden this morning Owen, thanks very much for coming in it is a swarm of the native black bee. It is indeed, yeah, yeah. It's a small little, what's known as a cast, which would be a secondary swarm from uh, a colony somewhere, uh, probably within two miles of here. And it, for some strange reason, they picked your compost that they thought it was a suitable home to, to set up. And, and they arrived here. You know. A little gap because it's it's a rudimentary compost bin. It's just a, a heavy-duty plastic bin. I cut the lid off it and there was a little gap and it's half, it's probably only half full on at the minute because it's nearly ready to spread the compost. It's lovely black gold in there. Why did they pick a place like that? Well, they'll go something with a small entrance, generally a very small entrance that they can defend easily and then they say about, uh, they go for a cavity then that would be 40 litres they reckon is the size of the cavity which is approximately uh, the size available in the compost and the compost would be nice and warm as well of course uh, and I loved it. warm and dark uh, and, and you know it would be kind of mimic uh, a natural tree uh, cavity in a tree um, and we don't have many uh, you know there isn't many trees in Ireland that are available for bees to with, with cavities in them we have very few trees actually um, and so they, they tend to often find places that can interfere with humans a, a bit you know now, just explain to listeners, you've arrived here today, you established that it is a swarm of the native honeybee. Tell them what you've done. So basically what I did, they were clustered underneath the lid and generally what they do is they load themselves up with honey and the first thing they do 
when they arrive is that they start building wax uh, and they use that honey to build the wax. They can carry quite a lot of honey with them and they were just starting to build the wax there uh, so they were clustered nicely underneath the lid So I, uh, you know, and they cling together very well so I just lifted uh, the lid up and shook them and I brought a little portable hive with me called a nucleus box and I just shook the bees uh, into that and then there was a few more inside and I just uh, put them into the box and so then I just placed the box uh, on top of the compass bin so the entrance is quite close to where they were going in originally and so given time they're starting to go in and there's some of them actually signaling on the outside. They have a special gland called the Nazanov gland, which kind of emits a pheromone that tells the other bees this is where we are. Um, and so they're all they're, they're sending out that signal now, and they're being to cluster close to the entrance and making their way to the entrance. And so I leave them there, and maybe tomorrow, early tomorrow morning, they should be all inside in the box, and I'll take them away. Yeah. And the queen is in the middle of that cluster. Yeah, almost definitely. Well, you know, we got uh, managed to shake the vast majority of bees in there, and she would tend to be in the middle of the cluster. And when she's inside, they will they will all join her in there. Swarming in Ireland. We were talking just a few moments ago, and you said years ago there'd be multiple swarms every day. What's it like today? Uh, today is ideal swarming weather. Uh, you know, this, these conditions, and generally the swarming season would run from uh, the beginning of May till about the end of the first week in July. Now. This year, um, the weather uh, early in the year has been absolutely horrific uh, and we have a very slow start to the year. But a lot of hives that were kind of strong coming out the winter managed to progress, but the beekeepers uh, wouldn't have had much time to look after them. And so swarming kind of started early for some of the bigger hives. But this is ideal swarming weather, these conditions, this warm, sunny day. Um, and they will head off and basically what happens is the old queen will leave with maybe 40-50% of, uh, of the bees and find new home. But this is actually a cast, so they can send out a, neck and a second or third queen who goes out with a smaller number. Um, now, as casts are, are very small, actually. This small, this, I've seen swarms 20 times bigger than this. No problem, easily, like, you know. So this, I'm not sure how viable this colony is, but if there's a queen in it and she's, uh, she has to get mated yet uh, and then she'll start laying and we can see we'll probably be able to expand that into, into a full working hive eventually. And is this a young queen? Yeah, she'd be a virgin queen. She would have emerged. She would have been born in the last, uh, oh, in the last few days. Um, and she uh, she headed off. So I, I know she's not, like, if it was the old queen, it would be a big, huge swarm, but because it's a, a secondary swarm, it's a virgin queen, so she has to mate, so she has to go out. So she will spend... Uh, after about maybe five to seven days, she'll start her mating flights and that can go on for about maybe seven to ten days. And she has to mate with uh, generally about 12, 15 males, you know, um, and then about another uh, five, six days later, she starts laying and, and, she, and she doesn't have to. That's her done for life. She can live up to maybe three, four years um, and uh, she just mates at the beginning of her life and that's it. You said there, if it was an old queen, it'd be a huge cluster of bees around her. Is it generally the old queen or new queens that leave the original hive? In general, first, the first queen will be the old queen. Uh, now, beekeepers will often clip their queens uh, to prevent the old queen leaving, but she, she will get lost then. But then 
uh, the next queen out will be a virgin queen. But likely what happened with this, now this could be coming from a wild colony rather than a beaker. There's a lot of bees, honeybees now living in the wild where they can. They're surviving better in the wild. It's actually quite, they've done a lot of study in the University of Galway on this and they seem to be more resistant to this dreadful disease Varroa, which we've been suffering with for the last 20 years. Uh, and they seem to be in the wild, they're, they're developing because basically the ones that are not Varroa resistant will die out, whereas the ones that are resistant to Varroa will continue surviving in the wild. So this could come from a wild colony. Um, uh, and so then uh, this would be, you know, because it's so small, I know it's the second second or third queen out. And and that's the, the, the story now that compared to, as I said, 20, 30 years ago when there were wild swarms and many swarms during this swarming season, that declined. But what you're basically saying, it's on the way back. And that's good news. It is, generally because honeybee in Ireland, this is the native Irish honeybee, and it is native to Ireland, and it is basically a wild bee in the sense. It's probably, the best way of describing it is a managed wild uh, uh, creature. Um, and in the past, up till about maybe the 90s, uh, in some parts of the country, you'd have 50% of the bee, honeybees would be looked at for beekeepers and 50% live in the wilds. And there's a lot of interaction between the two. Beekeepers might lose a swarm or beekeepers might catch a swarm from the wild. And, you know, there would be uh, a lot of um, interaction between the two. Uh, like in, the, in my uh, grandfather's time, like, uh, you know, bees were actually bred to swarm because uh, the, the honey flow tends to be much later because of agriculture. The, you know, the hay wasn't cut till much later. So there'd be a lot more more flowers so basically what they do is that the bees would they'd actually they'd induce the bees to swarm early so then they'd have two hives going into the to the main flow so swarms were really common there was fl- swarms <laughs> everywhere going back to the like uh before beekeeping really became serious in ireland up to like the 40s and 50s 60s uh there were swarms flying in the country especially in the country the flower, f- during this time of year to be swarms flying left right and center you know and there will be more, as Owen says, with it uh, making a comeback in the wild. So I know you and I've been involved with the beekeepers and it was easy to make a phone call and you're very good to come here so quickly to me today. But what do you say to listeners who discover a swarm of bees in their garden? You know, what should they do? The first thing is don't, don't go near it yourself. Be, uh, in this swarm, they're actually very docile, but you know, don't, don't go anywhere near it yourself. Uh, basically, you need to contact a beekeeper who, and, and most beekeepers uh, are well equipped to deal with swarms. A lot of beekeepers actually start, uh, their first hive comes from a swarm. So if t- the first thing, there is a, a very, very good website. It's called swarms.ie. And this is basically um, a collection of uh, volunteer beekeepers all over the country who will go and take swarms and they'll collect them. And, and I know there's a few beekeepers in, in this area involved in that. So that's your protocol. Or else you can contact the uh, loud beekeepers. Uh, just uh, Google loud beekeepers and contact them and they can, uh, you know, put the, the word out uh, for someone to come along and, and, and take them. And we have to mention Royal County Beekeepers in County Meath as well. They're there too and they're your local bee organisation, the wonderful people. Hiving a swarm, it looks, can, sometimes it can look very spectacular and, that, and you're getting all the bees into this. But all, nearly all experienced, reasonably experienced beekeepers have done this several times and know how to do it. You know? So that's the thing. Preserve the bees. Call your local beekeeper or, or look up swarms.ie because they're precious, aren't they? Don't do anything else to them. Please don't destroy them. Uh, no, definitely not. And, and I think all the pest control agencies won't go near bees because, you see, even though bees are not, uh, honeybees are not protected because otherwise you wouldn't be able to take them. I wouldn't be able to take these if they were protected. But uh, the fact is, uh, uh, you know, the pest control agencies know that they are valuable, you know, they're a valuable creature and that uh, somebody will make use of them.
Yes, make sure, preserve. They're fantastic and they're essential to life on earth and they produce the most wonderful honey. Well, I'm just looking over at your temporary hive well own. Isn't nature a wonderful thing? Look at them. They're in they're, there now by the new time. They've just, taken to their new home. They're just marching. You can see them marching in and you can see around the entrance that they're all clustered there and there's some of them there are uh, uh, sticking their backsides in the air to release this pheromone and fanning their wings and that spreads the message. And you can see they're actually, you know, Literally marching up into the into the entrance. They are indeed. It's a wonderful, wonderful sight. It really is. There you are, wildlife on LMFM today, live from my back garden. Anyway, Owen, you're going to leave it there for the rest of the day and night, and by tomorrow they should be firmly settled in there. And then, do you have to move it a certain distance from here? Oh uh, yeah, you would have to move it uh, from this site. You'd have to move it at least say, two miles or more. Um, and I have plenty of sites all over the county that I can bring it to and no problem because they will if you move it less than two miles they will the, the bees will hone in on this they're oriented to this site just at this particular moment so if you move it closer distance they might be out flying and recognise landmarks and actually make their way someone will make their way back here Incredible yeah. aren't they just yeah. incredible little creatures they really are anyway we let them settle into their new home there again thank you so much Owen McGillicuddy for coming in and helping me with the bees they've come back to me after all all these years on <laughs> it's absolutely amazing but I, it always seems to be beekeepers are former beekeepers there's always uh, I've seen so many a, a few people I know started with bees with swarms and they were doing beginner courses and the swarms arrived to their back door and it's just you know, of all the the random chance of it arriving here is just I, I'm just amazed. You know. Yeah, and just to remind you again, swarms.ie. Your local beekeepers are listed there who can help you out, or your local beekeeper association, Royal County Beekeepers in Mead, and the Loud be- Beekeepers here in the Wee County. See you tomorrow, Owen. Right. Okay, Jerry. No problem. It's time for our two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one. But we were so close. I'm supposed to be number one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Two, two, one on Tuesday. Our two on Tuesday, this Tuesday afternoon, I'm going back to 1986. But in fact, this song was released in 1985. It was 30 weeks, 30 weeks on the UK charts. So it was a real slow burner. It was her second single from She Signed with Mr. Simon Cowell. Yes, your two on Tuesday, this Tuesday on LMFM's Late Lunch, comes your way from Sinita. So Yes, our two on Tuesday from Sunita, so macho. I think that song put all the boys off because she's still looking for himself, whoever he is. <laughs> and she's moved on a few years since then, for sure. Wasn't she romantically linked with Simon Cowell as well for a time? Indeed, and she was, and he used her on X Factor when they went to the uh, judges' houses and things like that. She did indeed. Anyway, she never made it to number one with that one. So what, prey kept her off top spot? Well, when I tell you the song that did, was at number one for three weeks when she eventually got to the number two. She just couldn't get past him. He's so macho, isn't he? It's Mr. Chris DeBerg. Lady in red Is dancing with me Mr. Chris DeBerg 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 Number one, the song that kept Sunita so macho off the top spot. So Louise... 
cast your vote today, Sunita or Mr. Christberg? I think I said to you, Christberg paid the ferryman. <laughs> Sunita, I think, definitely. Sunita, I'd bop around to, even yeah. if it's cheesy, but I just switched back him on. Mm, that was a big hit for Christopher. I know really at the was. time. I big, big, know. big, big hit in, was indeed. Yeah. Probably a great song at the time. Mm, yeah, so there you are. You go for Sunita. What would you go for? Go on, yell mush, yeah. You're going to go with Christopher, aren't you? I'm going with Christy. Yeah, I'm going with Christy. I am. I'm going with Christy. I am. Yeah, I'll go with Christy. I will. I will. I'll stick with him. That the, They got it right with the number one. Uh, and you like the yell slow ones. <laughs> oh, you bet. <laughs> Um. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ah, take her nice and easy. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Back to our opening conversation about uh, under 12s not being competitive uh, in uh, the GAA. Uh, unfortunately, this is a listener. Some people who may have a coaching position in a club, have the win-at-all-cost attitude, which reduces the enjoyment for children. I like that comment and points back to those on the sideline again. Anyway, what about the census figures that have come out today, Louise? Last census, 2016. uh, Between 2016 and last year, the changes... Uh, Ireland over 5 million people mm, now for the first time, time. 5.149 million up, 180 years or something I think Michael 100 said in the years, yeah, up 8% there a third of workers working at some stage from home on what I'm sure of the pandemic 80% of houses now have broadband broadband or internet connection I'm sure there's a lot of people does it work though <laughs> <laughs> would have something to say about that and still in Ireland believe th- believe this figure there are still 3.96 million people who declared themselves as Roman Catholic in the church. 
Okay, so that's about again 67, was it now? Um, just... About that percentage-wise, yeah. 5.149 million population, 3.96 million still uh, have ticked the box as being Roman Catholic in the state. There you go, some of the interesting facts from the census and more figures and stats emerging as the days go by. Today is World MS Day and to coincide with the day, portraits of eight people from round Ireland who are living with S have been captured to ho- highlight that the MS journey is different for every person and that there's still unmet needs in multiple sclerosis and one of those whose portrait has been revealed today joins me now. She's from our neck of the woods. I'm delighted to say hello to Naomi Donaldson. Hi Naomi. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Well, congratulations to you on being one of the eight selected. Are you happy with the image? Absolutely delighted. I mean, it shows it's myself and my son and it just shows what everyday life is like for us. And if you look at our portrait against everyone else's, they're completely different. So as you said, no two cases of MS are the same and no two needs of people with MS are the same. So I think it captures it brilliantly. I'm delighted for you. And at Stephen's Green as well in the heart of the capital city on this lovely, lovely day. Tell us your story about MS. What age were you diagnosed at? Well, my family's history with MS actually started way before I was diagnosed. So in 1966, my dad's mother passed away from MS, leaving my dad and his siblings orphaned. So we had a terrible view of MS because we didn't know anything. Then the year before I was diagnosed, my sister was diagnosed. So in about 12 months, Rachel showed us that you can live a perfectly normal life. She kept working, she kept going out, she kept doing everything that normal 21-year-olds did at the time. So when I was diagnosed in May 2011, I was 30. I was about eight weeks away from getting married. Um, And my attitude was, I don't have time for this. I have a seating plan to arrange. So I think the fact my sister and I were diagnosed so closely together was such a boost for both of us. We had each other there together. And it's not the horrific disease it was in 1966 when my grandmother passed away because there are so many treatments available now. Like when my grandmother passed away there was no treatment for MS you were basically told to go and just wait for the inevitable whereas now I'm on an oral medication whereas when I was starting my treatment 12 years ago I had to inject every day so the advances are huge and even in the space of 12 years the advances are absolutely amazing You know that history going back to the 60s and again in another generation and now you and your sister um, were you you half suspecting that you might be one to be touched by this too? No, not an, not initially. When Rachel was diagnosed, we had no idea. We didn't even think that it would be MS. But then 12 months later, when I start getting similar symptoms, then I kind of already knew. I didn't need a neurologist to tell me or an MRI. I was like, this is MS. Mm. So I was prepared before I actually got the news yes. that this is what you're going to be dealing with. Mm. And, and what, what are those symptoms? How were you feeling? How did it manifest? So for me, um, I temporarily lost the vision in my left eye. Now, this had been going on for a couple of years and people would just say, oh, stress or you need glasses or you're spending too much time on the computer. But then when the link was made with MS, um, optical issues are a huge first indicator for people with MS. So the vision went and then it came back slowly over a number of weeks. I lost all sensation in my left arm, which ended up in me scalding myself in the shower because when I got in, I didn't feel how hot the water was. Um, other symptoms, I mean, balanced, blurry vision. I also have chronic fatigue, so tiredness. But it, if you look at the symptoms of MS, it can mirror so many other illnesses. So a warning to people, if you're having these symptoms, it may not necessarily be MS, but it's so important to go and speak to your doctor and get them 
necessary tests you need to either confirm or rule it out and don't panic if you are having these symptoms. No, and that's a really important message to give on this uh, day, uh, highlighting MS. So you, you get your diagnosis. You told us there that it was you had to inject yourself in, in the early uh, days, and that did that help? Did, did the early treatments work? Well, with MS, you never it never gets better. So the symptoms that you already have will always stay there, but it stops the disease progressing. So. In the last uh, 12 years since I've been diagnosed, I've never had another new symptom. So the medication I'm on has kept it at bay. Um, I've had one relapse and that's when I was under a time of great stress. And again, I lost my eyesight and I had numbness in my feet so I couldn't walk. But So for stuff like that, steroids, temporary dose of steroids will treat the symptoms that you're going through at the time. But the medication is all aimed at keeping the disease from progressing. And it does that, which is fantastic to hear. I'm not taking away from what you have to live with because you have those uh, symptoms anyway. When you get up in the morning and you face the day, how do you feel? Are are some days better than others? Or are you grateful that you have a drug that can keep things as they are? Yeah, I mean, the chronic fatigue is definitely tough and having a six-year-old doesn't help either. But I am grateful I can still go to work, I can still run around the park after Evan, I can go and watch him play in Hurling every week. So, yeah, I'm hugely grateful that I can still live a normal life and not have it impact me on that huge basis daily. Well, do you think about him? He's only six now, you know, and going forward, the way it's jumped generations in your family. Is that ever on your mind? Yes, it was. When we found out I was pregnant, Like there, it, we can get him tested, but he's six. Mm. He's shown no symptoms yet. They may not even, an MRI may not even show any um, lesions on his brain, which is how they identify MS. So if there's any lesions on your brain, they know that's a sign of MS. I think we just wait and see. Um, He's autistic, so he's been through enough tests already, I think. And we're just going to leave it and see what happens because, yes, it is a concern. But in our case, it's skipped a generation. So my dad and his siblings are all fine. And then from our generation, it's only me and my sister, none of our other cousins, my brother, have never shown any neurological symptoms. So I think we'll just play it by ear. And who knows if, God forbid, he does have MS, the advances by the time he's diagnosed could yeah. be huge. There mm. could be a cure at that stage. Mm, yes, for sure. And and that is the the great hope. You mentioned work there, that you, you're working mum too. What about work and uh, the understanding there of what you live with? How is that? They're amazing. I have to say, I'm a civil servant, but when I was diagnosed, I worked in the private sector and they could not have been more supportive. They, all my medical time off, even though I was, wasn't was entitled to medical time off, they gave me time to go for appointments. If I wasn't feeling well, they let me leave early for the day. And it's the same in, in the civil service. They're so understanding. They know what I face on a daily basis. And because, as you mentioned, the census, I'm only working in the office two days a week that takes some of the stress off because I'm not commuting. I don't have to get up early every single morning. So you can take life at a more relaxed pace when you're at home. And I think that, facil- that facilitation us to work from home for the majority of the week really has helped. Oh, that's great to hear. It really is. Now, this campaign and this day highlighting MS and people living with it, it particularly mentions misconceptions around MS and the stereotypes associated with the condition. What are they just for listeners? So as we are all aware. They can be, I mean, anything. I remember when my sister was diagnosed, someone said, oh God, she's going to end up in a wheelchair. And I mean, that's what people envision. And that's what we envisioned first when she was diagnosed, because we didn't know what someone with MS dealt with on a daily basis. 
like mainly it's the wheelchair thing and people are going to end up in a wheelchair or you can't walk or you're going to be so ill that you're not going to be able to go to work every day. And I mean, some people, yes, do end up in a wheelchair with MS, but most people, the majority of people live a perfectly normal life. And that's the whole point behind the campaign. If you looked at these people, so in all different scenarios, would you know they had MS just from looking at the pictures? And the answer is no, you wouldn't. So it's, I treat everybody individually. Everyone's MS symptoms are different, but not everyone ends up with a disability either. So it's the awareness and just having the cop on not to say stuff like, oh my God, you're going to end up in a wheelchair. Do you engage with the support group nationally? Are, are you part of that? Yeah, so the MS Society, so it's MS, or sorry, ms-society.ie is the website. Yeah, they've been a huge support. Um, I'm an ambassador for MS Ireland, so that's how I'm involved in World MS Day. But I mean, they have the respite centre in Bushy Park. They offer physiotherapy classes, yoga. I walked the Camino with MS Ireland in 2013. Their information line is there, which is manned by a nurse at all times. And even just if you go onto the website, you find your local MS branch. So there's branches all over the country. They organise get-togethers. They organise local classes. They organise day trips. And it's, I mean, great to meet someone else who's in your situation. Because yes, my husband and my mom and everyone is understanding. They don't understand what it's like to have MS and it's great to meet someone else who knows and who's in that situation. You can swap stories, they can tell you, oh, Pilates really worked for me, yoga didn't. So it's a huge support network, both in Dublin, in the Respite Centre and the branches all around the country. Good to hear. So a fine network there that you highly recommend. In conclusion, you know, you, you I'm listening to you. It hasn't limited or restricted your life or is that too blasé to say that? No, it hasn't. I mean, there's times when I had that relapse in 2013 and I couldn't walk for three weeks. But other than that, I live such a normal life, such a boring life. I'm taking the kids, to take my son to hurling, bringing them to birthday parties, going to work, doing just what everyone else with a young family does. And it never has restricted me. But I think I wouldn't allow it to, even if I saw that it was starting to have a restriction, I would try and fight through that because... MS is just part of what I am. I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm the person you work with. I'm your next door neighbour. And that is way more important to me than being someone with MS. What a wonderful outlook and attitude you have, may I say. Thank you very much. Oh, you're inspiring. You really are. You are really, really inspiring. I've really so enjoyed our, our conversation. and I'm not surprised you were one of the ones selected to feature in this uh, wonderful exhibition of uh, photographs to celebrate this World MS Day. W- what's the story with it? Is it in place for a time or what's going to happen with that? It's there in person in Stephen's Green today and then there will be an online campaign. There's also an event in Trinity College this evening that the campaign is going to be asked. Then it will move virtually so you'll be able to see it on MS Ireland's Instagram, Facebook and Twitter again. Terrific. You're a great one, Naomi Donaldson. You really, really are. Congratulations again and thank you so much for joining us on this special day and best wishes to you always. Thank you so much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Naomi Donaldson there. What a fantastic woman. She'd just give you a lift, wouldn't she? She really would. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this beautiful, beautiful Tuesday afternoon when Ireland is basking in sunshine, north, south, east and west. Thank God for it. The bees, Louise, I showed you the picture of mm. them swarming in the, under the lid of the compost bin. Aren't they remarkable?
It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. How many would you reckon was in that little thousands of them in that little Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The massive numbers now at this time in the hives are up to a maximum, I think, of forty thousand or fifty thousand bees in a hive. It's unbelievable. But anyway, they arrived and they're in their temporary hive now and Owen's going to take them away tomorrow. I love, I love it. I love nature. I just do. But uh, they're only there since yesterday evening. Look at the way they've accumulated with their new queen, as they say. But you know something? I'll tell you honestly, I'm lucky to be here myself today. And I'm probably not me that's lucky to be here. Uh, it's my wife. Miriam is lucky to be here today. Will I tell you the wee story? Mm-hmm. Well, she's doing 10,000 steps a day for Good me. Woman. You know this thing uh, and flying at it to be honest with you and loving it. Uh, but it wasn't those steps but she's out doing a lot of walking but she walks to work now early in the morning and she was on her way to work and there's a pedestrian crossing at Our Lady of Lourdes Church in Drogheda. If you're in Drogheda you'll know it. Sorry if you're outside but it's one of the main churches in town. It's marked by mountains. Yes. Yes, and it's it is because what Louise is yeah. talking about just beyond the pedestrian crossing is one of these slow down mounds on the road. But it's probably one of the highest, isn't it, Louise? It fair is, to yeah. say you'll ever come across. But anyway, the the pedestrian crossing is there, and she crosses there uh, to go into work. And yesterday morning, I suppose, is around before eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, schools are people going to school, going to work, etc. She arrived. She told me at the crossing, and uh, she pressed the button and waited. And I dropped her there winter times as well. And the lights went red. The green person, the mm. man came up on the crossing and the sound, it's sound. You can hear it. And she stepped out. She said she doesn't know what happened, but she just glanced with her eye to the right. And a car came speeding right through the lights. And she said it missed her by a fraction. There was a bus on the other side and a busman and he leant on the horn real hard and stopped the bus and she thought it, she was at fault but she wasn't. Anyway, she was really shook up and crossed the road. The other chap didn't stop, just never kept stopped. going. A white uh-huh. car heading from the Ballamakenny Road towards uh, Drogheda, in from Ballamakenny towards Drogheda, speeding, never stopped one bit, hit that bump, Bang on, a white car around about eight o'clock yesterday morning. And uh, the busman stopped and got out and said to her, are you OK? And she said, I am. But she was really shook. And uh, he said, do you know you were in a whisker of being killed? Just like that, he said to her. It was that close. He said, "I we saw it all happening. The traffic was stopped. And she was shook up even when she came home yesterday. And she was really, really shook up. But she said she doesn't know what or who just possessed her to just take that. She just copped it in the corner of her eye and speed through the lights, never stopped, just continued on. But I say it and I tell the story because even me or probably you, Louise, when you hit the button and you hear the sound and the lights go green, you proceed. You probably don't, you know, you think it's it's ready to go. I think, you, right. I think you have to just still with me I'd still wouldn't set foot out until if there was I'd see if a car coming yeah. and until it actually stopped I wouldn't go yeah so it's just a little little mm. warning that even if you're on the pedestrian crossing mm. but there may not be like you know the pedestrian where you have yeah. the orange flashing lights and you're entitled mm. to walk across there's lots of those in our towns but at traffic lights it's a little message to say you've got to still look mm. left and right and keep looking because unfortunately, drivers and even people, you know, as you say, you press the button, you just walk out. 
because once you hear the beep, you just assume it's safe. But drivers and the people walking, there's so many distractions. Mm. There shouldn't be, but... Yeah, who knows? Was that person on the phone? But now the the bus driver said that car was bombing along and obviously had to hit that bump in the road that you talk yeah. about beyond those lights as well. But uh, she was shook up. I'll tell you that. She was shook up by this because she... I think it dawns on you. You know when you've had a close escape, Louise? Mm. I've had one or two in my life as well. And it just dawns on you. You get a flashback, you know what I mean? To, and think about what just might have been. It's a fraction... A second later, an entirely different story altogether. But uh, I, I just... I can't believe he didn't stop. He or she didn't oh, stop. No stopping. No stopping. The busman said you know. he couldn't believe what he had, uh, had seen. And obviously that busman is on that route. There's a regular bus route now. Yes, out there to is. The, the, the new, the new drought, as I call it now, uh, happening. But... Uh, what do you have to do? Yeah. Do you have to wear flashing lights yourself when you cross the I road? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of traffic on roads now and that road is becoming particularly busier as well. But God almighty, I know they have ramps and everything. But even with that big ramp and ramps down the road a little bit as well, yeah. didn't reduce the speed of, of that particular mm-hmm. car at all. But very valid comment that yeah. just came in if there's anybody out there with dash cam. Yeah, thank God for it. Thank God for it. But... Uh, you know, perhaps you've been in a close shave yourself or have you anything to say? Love to hear from you. 86 658 by WhatsApp or text. On phones, not concentrating, driving, observing speed limits within towns. That's the emphasis on drivers and also then on pedestrians as well. To have your wits about you, that's just a, a must. You must, must have your wits about you. That is for sure. Uh, thank God. That's all I'll say. It could have been an entirely different scenario today. It really, it really, really could. Um, you see the uh, voluntary contribution in schools is, is in the news mm-hmm. again today. I know you've been talking about that to me off record and off air in the past as well. And, you know, students feeling that they're being um, discriminated against if the voluntary contribution isn't paid. And some people just haven't the money to pay it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Nobody should be discriminated or against. Or even little things throughout the school year. Two year yeah. here and two year there. I mean, if a child like, doesn't get a bun, mm. you know, mm. they're sad. It's kind of a little bit of... You know, dare yes. I say emotional blackmail? Oh, that's be too wrong. Strong. That's wrong. Too strong. I saw that story today. It's wrong. It's wrong. You don't do that against a young person. It's a, We're talking about second level here, schools. It's just not right to do that. It annoyed me that story when I saw it for sure. People, some people struggling to pay their way uh, in life today. And, and a child shouldn't be made think no. that their parents can't no, 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 afford no, no, to do no, this no, either. No, 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 that's a no, no, please. Let's let's put an end to that once and for all. Coming up after late on Late Lunch After 3, Rithoth College win a big sustainability award and I have the number four in my top five countdown. But heading towards news at three o'clock. Thanks to that bus driver yesterday who was so kind to my wife. And uh, we'll dedicate this one to him from Mr. Bill Withers. She had to lean on him yesterday and he was there for her. We're heading towards top of the hour and your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Sometimes in our lives we all have pain we all have sorrow Thanks for all your comments 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Um, is there dash cam footage of that incident involving your wife, Jerry? Because that driver should really be identified and I, I see the word you're using as well too. I, I couldn't use it on air but I hear what you're saying. Look, so grateful that there wasn't an accident, I suppose, the last thing that entered her mind. Um, 
Uh, Jerry, exactly the same thing happened. My wife, says Jackie, at the lights outside West Court. She was pushing her grandchild in a buggy, only for she had the cop on to wait, even though the lights went red. Unbelievable what might have happened. There are some awful gobshites on the road. Uh, the lesson is don't depend on red lights to stop all cars. Uh, some people don't actually see them, and the result can be lethal. Jackie, thanks indeed. Lovely to hear from you. I hope you're keeping well today. Um, a Liverpool supporter there. Up the Royals. Louise, um, will you ask Jerry? was that uh, p- player he took off called Joe, who caught a ball in similar fashion at Crow Park? We're not going back to that one, Deco. Honestly, we really am. We're going to leave that one be. That one's put to bed for sure. And I have a lengthy message there in from David and Navin as well um, about uh, what happened on the road with my wife. I know how your wife feels. I was working at a house last year. My van was parked along the road. And when I was going to get back into the van, there was a guy using a power washer beside the van. And I never heard a car coming from behind. I walked out in front of my van. And as I turned around the driver's side to get back into into my van uh, the oncoming car I couldn't hear coming because of the power washer he missed me by a hair's breadth it was a year ago and to be honest it still shakes me up when I think about it because I know how close it was on that day to tragedy the car was flying I wouldn't have stood a chance maybe just another warning to listeners when there's machinery or loud noise happening too when you're out and about be on your guard thanks indeed for that David appreciate the message let's do this now on Late Lunch 5 4 3 2 1 Counting down the top 5 songs from this week of yesteryear And today it's the number four from this very week in 1997. And when I tell you that this track remains today one of the most memorable vocal dance tracks played in clubs, it's still played all around Europe and beyond today. It's a real testament to its longevity. Anyway, its singer is called Rosie Gaines. And she was part of the Prince team. Yes, Prince and the new generation. She was a singer with Prince, so this one has form. She went out on her own, pursued a solo career. And when this song was released in 1997, it was highly successful. It reached number four in the UK charts. Yes, number four from this week in 97. Rosie Gaines and Closer Than Close. Closer Than Close. Closer Than Top 5 countdown at number 4 Rosie Gaines Closer Than Close on your late lunch this afternoon the number 4 today and we go on 3, 2, 1 into Friday from this very week in 1997 Rathod College are over the moon literally yes uh, they have been awarded most sustainable school and in Ireland at the Eco UNESCO Young Environmentalist Awards and I'm joined by some of the students but first Ursula Hines. Hello, Ursula. Teacher there. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. What's your title there again in the school? I'm a teacher in the school. I'm a business teacher, but I also coordinate um, our sustainability leadership program here in the school. So involved in green schools and all things green, really. Mm, the most sustainable school in Ireland. Woohoo! I know. We're delighted. We're so delighted. I know there was about, I think it was 290 entries from 28 countries across Ireland. So 
we're just over the moon, really. Yeah, it's a fantastic achievement. Why did you win it? I guess they thought we were quite sustainable in relation to what we've been doing for the last 18 months in the school. So we have done so much um, to get ready for our Green Schools flag, to enter into this competition, but really just to, you know, have our own individual and collective responsibilities in relation to sustainability and to up our game, I suppose, in the area. Mm, And obviously you've had tremendous buy-in from the students and the school population too. Yeah, we have. I mean, I suppose this project has, I suppose, taught us that, you know, advocates have been telling people and the public to recycle, reduce and reuse for decades now. And that advice, I suppose, is still very relevant today. But we've learned uh, that our students respond better to seeing progress in action through a motivational or promotional video. So although, you know, we all realise systemic change is necessary to alter our current trajectory, you know, small day-to-day actions can still help, you know, spread a more sustainable world for you. And that's what we're trying to do here. I just think of the power of one when I look at what you've done and achieved. You, It starts with each of us, doesn't it, individually? Exactly, exactly. So we, we have seen that our video has helped to be, for us to be, I suppose, environmental activ- activists and advocates in a way that shares our own personal, unique sustainability journey here in Rathold College. Mm. So you're doing it on the ground, you're making the videos then and you're uploading and spreading that message far and wide. Yeah, the whole idea of the video was, you know, to send it to other schools and to, you know, challenge each other, challenge other schools to take action also and to capture this on video so that we're spreading awareness. Yeah, you have students there, which I want to have a quick word with each of them. Could you put me on to Elsa Johnson? I will, of course. One second. Hi, how are you? Elsa, I'm great. Thank you for joining me on the show again and congratulations to you. Tell our listeners about your metre of meadow, please. Our metre of meadow. So this is just a recent thing that we've opened. It's our new wildflower garden. So um, we've just worked on it for the past month. We've had a group of students and a teacher supervising. So um, just recently, about three weeks ago, we had um, a Scruffy's electric picnic. So Scruffy's our green school's mascot um, and he's a yeti so he's um, there to kind of you know he's the key kind of to promote our green schools he's like the, the key person that everyone would look towards so he's at every event for green schools that we have so we did a, an electric picnic out in the um, meter meadow out in our wildflower garden um, and we had all students come down we had music on and we had blankets down and everything like that so it was really enjoyable and it really raised like awareness um, mm with our Green Schools programme. So so you brought the music and the entertainment into the garden itself to add, you know what I mean, and let people come along and enjoy the music, but see as well what this is all about. Who gets into the scruffy mascot outfit? Oh, who fits in? So we actually, we have two lads that will, um, Ross Fitzpatrick and Harry Dunn, they kind of swap in and out of being scruffy. Yes. Um, but they have a great time. And I mean, it's just to bring that bit more fun and make sure that, you know, sustainability looks cool to other students. It looks something that's enjoyable and fun. So yeah. it's not just, you know, it's not just recycling. Mm. Uh, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it has a bit of fun to it as well. Of course, of course. And Scruffy is, uh, he carries the, uh, uh, the the campaign forward through him being your mascot and that as well. I think it's a very good idea tied in with everything else you're doing there. Uh, is Matthew Lane beside you? Yeah, so Matthew Keane's here. I'll put you on. Thanks. How's it going? Hi, Matthew. How are you? 
I'm good. Thanks for asking. Not at all. It's great to have you with us today on the show. Tell me about the green flag and 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 uh, you know winning the uh, green schools flag award. What, what what did you have to do for that, or what's involved? So winning the green schools flag was just a school effort, showing what we can do to show that we recycle and take action while mm. thinking globally and acting locally. Right. Like with small projects like we said, the wild garden the clothes project, so many things we've done that helped us win sustainable school, helped us get that green flag that rewards our school and shows students that we, what we're doing actually means something. You mentioned there, like in a school, of course, you guys love to eat and there's plenty of wrapping on food. People bring it in and they have it or whatever. And it's quite easy to scatter the, it all around the place. Is there a commitment to keeping the place pristine, clean and recycling? Do you see that yourself across the school? Oh, yeah, of course. Even myself, we go around every Wednesday morning, make sure the classrooms are clean, rewarding the students for putting the work, for not bringing this like tinfoil and plastic mm. by giving them a pizza party at the end of the month. And one of the biggest things we've done at the school is bringing plastic bottles that are all uniform. So they have a school logo and they're very, they're reusable, unlike the disposable ones that can really cause the damage to the planet. Good on you. So you're pushing that, that everyone brings in and uh, tops it up and uh, the amount of waste you have. Yeah, like banning that single-use plastic idea with Mm. these reusable bottles, which has been a huge success. We see students come in day after day with them because for them, for a student, it's most of them might not be thinking about this in the day. But if they get up in the morning and go, hey, if I bring in a single-use plastic, it's going to take it off me. That's an inconvenience to me. I'll just bring this in. That small actions really build up to a good mentality around the students. Good on you. Well done. Quickly to Kyle, please. Kyle Gibbons is there too. Hi, how are you? Hi, Kyle. Good to have you with us on Late Lunch this afternoon. What was the May Day for sustainability? What was that about? Was that a specific day in the month of May you picked to promote this? Yeah, that was the Scruffy Electric Picnic. Oh, right. That was that was all Electric part of that. Was I see now. I beg your pardon. So that all came under that May Day for sustainability. What, what, what just in a general sense, you guys are deeply involved in this. How did the school uh, population itself take to this overall? What do you feel they felt about it? Uh, they're all getting involved as they should be. Mm. Uh, in every class nowadays, it's been introduced into curriculum. Yeah, they're all learning about it day in day out. Because mm. as our school is now a member of the Take One program, and so the teacher embedding the education of sustainability development into learning and teaching in our school. Yeah, and and this happens from day one when children come into first year and move right through the cycle to the end. It's introduced from first year there. Everybody buys into it. Yeah, so even on the first day, they get introduced. They get their, pl- their reusable bottles. And from the first classes are in, like, geography, yeah, SCG's already been mentioned. Yeah. So it's immediate and everybody understands the way the school is uh, run, how it operates, and, you know, it's fantastic. You've had wonderful success across the board this year. Um, Are you going to celebrate all these awards? Have you a trophy cabinet? Is it big enough to hold all the gongs you've got? We're going to have to have a big party for it again. <laughs> you will. You will yeah. indeed. You'll have to repeat that uh, Scruffy's Electric Picnic and celebration to, yeah. Yeah, of all the success you've had. Would you put me back, please, to uh, Ursula Hines, your teacher, please? Thank you. Good to talk to you, Kyle. 
Hello. Hi, great to have you all with us today to give everybody a word, Elsa, Matthew and Kyle, and just get a feel for... They're great young people, aren't they? They're totally committed to this. Oh, they're brilliant. Um, Like, we welcome all new members to our sustainability leadership team, but particularly, I suppose, the six-years and fifth-years are kind of the leaders of the school, and we need them involved because, you know, they're going into other classrooms, into their peers, and kind of persuading them and motivating them to act sustainably. So without them, we wouldn't have any of this success, that's for sure. And I'd like to just mention Saoirse, Kate and Dara were also at the Young Environmentalists for the semi-finals. But they're not here today because they're at home studying for their leaving cert. But I, I really do want to mention them because they've been amazing as well, as well as the whole Green Schools team. Yeah. Well done to everybody and good luck to everybody with the exams coming up. I want to say it one more time. Isn't it fantastic? Rathout College in County Mead, the most sustainable school in Ireland. Enjoy. Congratulations to everybody. I'm delighted to feature it on the show today. Well done, Arsley. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's teacher Ursula Hines, Elsa Johnson, Matthew Lane and Kyle Gibbons speaking to me today from Rathod College. Wonderful, wonderful story. That's it on Late Lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Have a lovely evening. Garrett and enjoy the weather as I say each day this week. Eddie Caffrey's coming next here with The Drive on LMFM Radio. Wonderful music and more besides. We'll be back with your midweek Late Lunch tomorrow from 1.30. See you then. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan.